Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, a warning from our old buddy George. Binge Mode contains adult content, much like Game of Thrones, the series adapted from my novels, A Song of Ice and Fire. If you have read the novels or have watched the show, then you're probably okay. Come join us on the Cinnamon Wind. It's time for Binge Mode. I've been promised to the prince. When will we marry? You'll never wed the prince. You'll wed the king. But I will be queen. Oh, yes. You'll be queen. For a time. And comes another. Younger. More beautiful. To cast you down and take all you hold dear. Will the king and I have children? No. The king will have 20 children. And you will have three. That doesn't make sense. Gold will be their crowds. Gold. Their shrouds. Hello! Woo! And welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Mm. Joining me today... Now that he's finished saying a fond farewell to White Rat at the Miranese brothels. We all need to be held sometimes. It's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Shouts to my dude, White Rat. He lived. He really lived. Jason, conquerors always meet resistance. Yes. And we are trying to conquer Game of Thrones by rewatching all 60 episodes. We're deep diving one at a time. Spoiler warning, as always, we will be going deep on details from the show and the books from this episode and this season and beyond. So hoist that harpy off the pyramid because it's time to break down the season five premiere, The Wars to Come. Jason? Yeah? It's easier to rule happy subjects than angry ones. I've heard that. So let's make sure everyone... Here is happy by offering a brief refresher on what actually happened in this first episode. Let's take a quick trip down our very own King's Road. In the Westerlands, during the reign of Ares Targaryen II, the Mad King. First flashback in show history! Yo! Young Cersei and a pal visit the woodsy lair of Maggie the Frog, a fortune teller. That's right. She gives Cersei the answer to three questions. She will wed the king, be displaced by a younger queen, and will have three children. Gold will be their crowns, gold their shrouds. Good news is this has no effect on Cersei's life. Yeah, she just right. lives a totally normal right. existence yeah. from there. In King's Landing, speaking of Cersei, a little trip to the Sept of Baelor where Jamie is standing sentinel over his father's corpse. Cersei and Jamie have a quick little chat. Hey, the legacy that dear old dad worked so tirelessly to forge, it's ours now if yeah. we can just grab it. Troubling. Tywin was really the last break on Cersei's quest for power. What now? What happens when she goes unchecked? Well, we might find out because Lancel is <laughs> back. New look, guys. A little fashion consultation, buzz cut. Yeah. No shoes, letting the feet breathe. Scarred physically, mentally, emotionally by his war experiences. But he has found comfort in an extremist yeah. sect of the faith known as the sparrows. Lancelot approaches Cersei, begs for forgiveness 
for his role in their previous relations and the part that he played with Robert and the wine and the boar. Lance, I don't know. What, I don't know what you mean. What wine? What boar? Right. Who's what? Robert? Who? Huh? Who's Robert? Yeah. Meanwhile, in the bedroom of Sir Loras Tyrell, Olivar there for date night. Yep. Don't keep the king waiting for dinner, though. Let's get on with it, Marjorie says. She bursts in. Not a knocker. Not a knock. Like, <laughs> did he not leave a sock on the doorknob? Something. What you happened gotta, come here? On, come on. Marjorie's not thrilled. She yeah. chides Loras, be more discreet. Be who you are, right. but be more discreet. Cross the narrow sea in Pentos. Tyrion and Varys arrive. Tyrion in a box. Mm. The former master of whisperers tells Tyrion about the conspiracy. He, Ilrio Mopatis, and a group of friends hatched many years ago to return Targaryen to the throne. Tyrion drinks heavily, extremely heavily. He asks Varys, why? Why did you help me? Varys thinks Tyrion is just the sort of free agent that Team Dragons needs. Meanwhile, in Marine, our favorite spot, conquering just the act of redecorating, guys, but on a larger scale. Danny's got that harpy statue Ooh. torn down. The great symbol of Marine ripped from atop the Great Pyramid. Much more comfortable home for Danny now. Like everyone else, we learn in this episode, the unsullied like to be cuddled. You need sure. a little nuzzling, you know? And the, the, the downside here is that an insurrectionary force, the Sons of the Harpy, use that bit of information to target Danny's troops when their guard's down. Zach, bells for those bells. White Rat. White Rat! <laughs> Give us some bells for White Rat! <laughs> Masandi, intrigued by this information. Great <laughs> she worm. really is. Great worm, just wondering why. Why would an Unsullied go to a brothel if he does not have pillars or stones? No good answer here, I do not know. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we'll Dario. We'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it in season seven. Yeah. Meanwhile, Dario and his Dar return from the trip to Yunkai. Concessions are made. Yeah. But they want concessions from Danny as well. She'll get final word on all important matters in exchange for what? They want the fighting pits open. Danny refuses, but Dario does his best in the nude, I might add, to convince her otherwise. Accept the traditions. Yes. Learn who your people are. Oh, and by the way, get your dragons back. You're not really the mother of dragons or the dragon queen without them. One rub. Danny still doesn't know where Drogon is, and she goes to visit Rhaegal and Viserion, her children, who she fucking chained They're in mad. the catacombs. They're mad down there. Not happy. They have not taken their two-week grounding. <laughs> no. Well, they feel resentful about They're losing pissed. cell phone and dessert privileges. Yeah. And they're slamming the door in mom's face with some fire bursts and screeches. Up at Castle Black, Melisandre brings John to a meeting with Stannis. On the way up in the elevator, she asks, are you a virgin? <laughs> He's not. Stannis needs men for his armory. The wildlings may not be disciplined, but they are plenty pugnacious. He asks John to broach the subject with Mance, armed service for the wildlings in exchange for a bent knee. Mance refuses. So Stannis has him burnt alive. John ends his suffering with an arrow to the heart. Finally, in the veil. What's an episode without a moment with Sweet Robin? Yeah. Really? And uh, he's beginning his wardship with Lord Royce. Runestone. Not, not looking good. Guys. A lot of work to do. <laughs> There's a, a lot of training ahead here. <laughs> Littlefinger and Lord Royce were watching Robin flop around like what? Like a girl with palsy. That's a tough, 
scouting report, gotta say. And uh, meanwhile, Baelish, Sansa, they've got other places to be. Get in that carriage, head somewhere. Somewhere. We'll come to learn in time. Mal. Yeah. Everyone's too afraid of you to speak the truth. Everyone but me. (laughs) Only me. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it. Stick with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is tough talk. Hard places breed hard men. Yeah, just ask Theon. <laughs> and the land of ice and fire breeds hard decisions and hard conversations. Numerous characters are regrouping in the season five from here, but not in vacuums. They're facing challenging discussions and demands from those around them. One person who is not afraid of demanding. Yeah demanding a tough conversation, forcing right. an uncomfortable dialogue, Varys. Yeah. And when he and Tyrion arrive in Pentos, Tyrion, listen. He's had a tough it's, couple months. Yeah, can't say we blame him. <laughs> Found out that his father was fucking the woman he loved. Very tough. Had to kill them both. Right. Had previously been on trial for the king's murder, right. facing the threat of imminent death. Prin- one of the princes of Dorne died defending him, essentially. You know? A boat ride seems nice in theory, but yeah. when you're in a crate surrounded by your own shit, <laughs> less pleasant, you know? So he gets out of the crate and he's in a bit of a foul mood. Must say, we've... We've made it, you know, we take pride in observing the questionable sanitary and hygienic practices. Tyrion, buddy, you just told us you've been shoving your shit through the air holes. Go rinse up a little bit before you start pouring yourself wine. Take a dive in the ocean. (laughs) Like you're just surrounded by water. It's in Uh, basins. It's in the sea. Clean up a little. Yeah. And also you're, you're dehydrated probably. I don't know if wine is the way to go right now. Well, it certainly goes right back up. <laughs> yes, it does. And onto the carpets of Illyrio's manse because yeah. uh, Tyrion is drinking way too much. Varys wants him to stop yeah, guzzling the booze and focus, focus on the future. But Tyrion's not really in the headspace for that, right? What does right. he say? The future is shit just like the past. This is an incredibly dark yeah. view. There are faster ways to kill yourself. Varys says about the wine, I say to Jason about binge mode. (laughs) And Tyrion says, not for a coward. This is is clearly like offends Varys a little, right? Because he cares about Tyrion. He sees something in him. You are many things, my lord, but not a coward. Well, all right, you want to chat? I've got something to ask you. You never told me why you set me free. You risked your life, your position. Why? You're not family. You owe me nothing, right? Tyrion very quickly hand waves Varys' right. initial, oh, refuse a request from the Kingslayer. Right. No, dangerous right. proposition, right? Tyrion knows this is bullshit. He wants to get to the bottom of it. And Varys gives what is now sort of his signature response. I didn't do it for you. I did it for the Seven Kingdoms, right? Ned asking, who do you really serve? The realm someone must. We've heard Varys echo the sentiment time and time again at this point. Well, Tyrion, this doesn't make him feel better. This in some ways initially at least makes him feel worse because he's like, me? You know, how can I help? A drunken dwarf will never be the savior of the Seven Kingdoms. And Varys says, listen, buddy. I don't believe in saviors. I believe men of talent have a part to play in the war to come. Tyrion, again, just rejecting these. He, he's not in the mood, basically, for a pep talk. He's certainly not in the mood to engage fully or even partially in the idea that there's anything back there worth saving, yeah. let alone that he has a role or should have a role 
in that attempt to save it. It's also a surprising turn uh, towards idealism from Varys, which would be kind of surprising for Tyrion. Tyrion would be like, whoa, I, you know, I, you were this master of real politique and assassinations, whispers in the dark. Now all of a sudden you're here telling me, we must save the realm, peace, right. prosperity, and you're just the man to do it, you know, to help us. This would come as somewhat of a shock, especially once you spent like two months in a box. Well, they're shocking each other, right? Yeah. And it's a good point because like, one of the observations Varys makes is you have many admirable qualities. Right. Self-pity is not one of them. He's basically like, dude, what are you doing? What yeah. are you doing here? You Where's doing? the guy I thought I knew? Right. Where's the guy who organized the defense of King's Landing, exactly. who no matter how many times throughout his whole life he was shit upon right. and cast aside, found the strength right. and the will to continue, right? And he basically says anyone can be born right. into a, a, a position of power or fortune. Earning it for yourself, that takes work. He's basically saying, all right, so, you know, because Tyrion's like, am I still a lord? Right. I killed my father. You know, right. literally, That's am, a, I, I mean, am I a, a person from a- It's a germane a, question. Right. Do I have a, a famous name anymore? Do right. I have access to any of the things that made me powerful right. before? And Varys is saying, it, not only does it not matter, you have an opportunity now to build something for yourself, right? Tyrion, not really used to the hard work. At least he's going to claim that now. Right. That's kind of what he's saying. I'm not well suited for work. And Varys calls bullshit yet again. I think you are. You have your father's instincts for politics and you have compassion. Now, <laughs> tough moment to make that point because yeah. Tyrion literally just strangled Shay with his bare hands and shot his own father on the shitter. What's Varys' response when Tyrion raises that? Right. I never said you were perfect. <laughs> um, but so what's the plan? Right. What is Varys actually? And that's what Tyrion wants to know. You know, what What do you want? What are you fighting for? And then Varys tells game? him, peace, prosperity, a land where the powerful do not prey on the powerless. Tyrion rightly says, hmm, this sounds like bullshit. Right. And he says, where the castles are made of gingerbread and the moats are filled with blackberry wine. Sounds delicious, by the way. Yeah. The powerful have always preyed on the powerless. That's how they became powerful in the first place. Good point. And then Varys goes on to say, but maybe we've just gotten so used to the way things are that we overlook this. And then Tyrion thinks, well, is he talking about me? So he's talking, he thinks that I, I should sit on the throne. He says, I will never sit on the Iron Throne. And Varys says, no, you won't, but you could help another climb those steps and take that seat. The Seven Kingdoms need someone stronger than Tommen, but gentler than Stannis, a monarch who can intimidate the High Lords and inspire the people, a ruler loved by millions with a powerful army and the right family name. And Tyrion says, good luck finding him. Who said anything about him? Ah, Daenerys. Ah. Finally, we see the plans begin to take shape. And here, finally, after seasons of this, Varys lets out with his plan what he wants. He has gathered up Tyrion because he thinks that he has the perfect set of tools to help Daenerys. After Varys drops the gauntlet, he says, you can stay here at Ilrio's palace and drink yourself to death, or you can ride with me to Marine, meet Daenerys Targaryen, and decide if the world is worth fighting for. This is a really huge moment for the show because this is what's been going on behind the scenes. You know, there's been a lot of secret plans unfurling in the dark in Game of Thrones. Littlefinger has had his plans and now here are Varys's. Right. And we're going to talk more about Varys and those plans later in the yeah. episode. But the, the last thing we'll say here is that the way Varys issues this as a challenge yeah. to Tyrion, you have a choice. Right. It's on you. You have to decide 
whether you give a shit, basically, not only about yourself and the rest of your life, but about the people around you, your country, your homeland, your family, your enemies, just the same, right? Do you want to fight for something? And this is a tough world. It's not an easy life. You can't survive it unless you're constantly striving to. And that's what Ferris is reminding him of in a way that, you know, applies to Tyrion personally, but also obviously in this case has much wider ramifications. Some choices being made, some difficult conversations taking place up at the wall. John has three separate exchanges. He has one with Melisandre. He has one with Stannis and Davos. And then he has one with Mance. And all of these are tough for him in different ways. Well, with Melisandre, it's just a weird, very strange conversation. We know, of course, that Melisandre looks at John and in some way must sense the powerful king's fluids that are coursing through the young man's uh, veins and various other uh, vessels of fluids. And John, of course, knows nothing of this and has no idea how to deal with it. They're riding the elevator up to the top of the wall and he looks at her in her kind of like flouncy little kind of robe and he says, you're not cold, my lady? Never. The Lord's fire lives within me, Jon Snow. Feel. And she takes his gloved hand, touches her face with it. And then, you know, hard plot twist. Are you a virgin? (laughs) (laughs) And then John kind of grits. He has to, he almost grits his teeth. No. Good. Hmm. And then John with Stannis, uh, an interesting contrast to John's conversation with Mance in his tent previously. John kneels to Stannis, number one. Uh, guess Tormund was kind of wrong about. Yeah, you'll never kneel again. Yeah, he spent too much time with us, did he? Although to be fair to John, like he's in a tough situation. You know, as they will talk about soon, there's many in the Night's Watch who disagree with the tactics that John has used over the past several months. Uh, he's got an, a, you know, an army, Sanus's army, essentially, camped right around him. So he's in a tenuous position, and kneeling to Sanus is, it's utilitarian. Stannis needs John to help boost his numbers, and that means appealing to John's anger, his rage. So, brings up Bruce. I, the traitor who planted a dagger in Rob huh. Stark's heart. Don't you want to avenge him? Don't you want to avenge your brother? Right. And John says, I want, and this shows the growth of John. I want a great many things, Your Grace, but I'm a sworn brother of the Night's Watch. And this is an interesting moment because Stannis can't help but respect this sure. position from John. This is a very Stannis position. I, this is what I promise to do, and I'm, I have to do this. The irony, of course, is that the thing that Stannis is asking is yeah. not a Stannis-like thing to Not ask. A, at all. Okay. Break your oath. Right. And help me with the, I need these wildlings. Yeah. I need you, so forget the thing you promised. <laughs> right. Davos asks John why he took Egret's body north, and this isn't. This is a tough thing to explain. You know, it's like you're standing in front of two strangers, one of them a king, ostensibly, and you've got to say, "Well, I loved her," but how can you say that without saying that? And Davos brings up uh, really the important underlying point vis-a-vis uh, John's treatment of of Egret's corpse. Some of the Nights Watch feel you have too much affection for the Wildling. That's the heart of the tough conversation because you know Davos and Stannis want to know what are your feelings towards the wild. Right. And how can those feelings help us? Exactly. <laughs> and John says they were born on the wrong side of the wall. That doesn't make them monsters. This, by the way, yeah. is that is straight from Egret's mouth. Yes. John 100%. is parroting the wildlings' words. Yep. And Stannis says, no matter, I shall take back the north from the thieves who stole it. Tywin Lannister is dead. He can't protect them now. Hey. That, this, that news traveled quickly. Those, those ravens Ooh. flapping hard. Quick one. <laughs> 
Gregoire, taking back the North, uh, it's going to require men. The North is huge, a huge, huge place, the largest region of the Seven Kingdoms. That means Stannis needs the wildlings. He's got a lot of swords, but he's paying for them. If you can get the wildlings to bend the knee to you, that helps. Maybe you can forge them into a fighting, into a real disciplined fighting force. So what is what does he offer? He says, John, I know you're close with the wildlings. Yeah, get in there. Right? I'm close with them. Word travels. If you could, you know, go to Mance, I'll offer them their lives for freedom if Mance kneels before me and swears his loyalty, he says. And John, of course, is like, yeah, that's not... Not gonna happen, bud. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. And Stannis here says, you admire him, don't you? And John does. Sure. But John won't admit that. He just says, I respect him. And Stannis lays it out. Tell him to kneel before me or I'm going to burn him. John does not want Mance to burn, right? No. And so even though he knows, he knows what Mance's answer is going to be before he even asks. He, he tries. Still, he tries. He tries. He tries. Mance says, he wants me to bend the knee and he wants the free folk to fight for him. I'll give him this. He's bold. <laughs> yeah. Well, shouldn't a king be bold, John says? And Mance says, you know, yeah, respect him. This is an interesting moment, actually, when yeah. Mance says that Stannis... If he gets what he wants, I expect he'll be a better ruler than the fools sitting on the Iron Throne the last hundred years. But I'll never serve them. Wow. Interesting that he thinks Stannis would be better than the people currently in charge. Not sure if that's like good news for Stannis. <laughs> right. That Mance thinks that. And John's appealing to every potential weakness or opening that he thinks he can find. You told me you weren't here to conquer, that your people had bled enough. That's right, man says. I don't want them bleeding for Stannis either. They've bled enough, period. Why, if I'm trying to save their lives, would I send them into another war, right? This is a reasonable position, but John yeah. can't give up yet. He has to make another appeal. None of them will survive the winter, not if they're north of the wall. Isn't their survival more important to you than pride? This is the tough conversation from yeah. Mance's perspective. Exactly. That is... What would you do for these people who believed in you? It's not is, about your personal pride. Right. What is This This echoes so many things we've heard throughout the show. Even, even what Eamon said to John 100%. back in season one, what choice would you make? The moment yeah. comes in a man's life when he has to decide. Or Ned, Ned when uh, Varys tells him, you know, would you do it for your kids? Exactly. Would you do it for Sansa and Arya? This is a, that moment yeah. for Mance. And John is throwing that in his face yeah. to force him to think about it, to force him to weigh every factor here. How many tens of thousands are out there right now? How many women? How many children? You won't go out and rescue them because why? You're afraid of looking afraid. Now, Mance, he's lived a life. He's lived a rich and long life. He was a member of the Night's Watch for many years. Remember, he's not a born wildling. He's seen both sides of it, and he chose this life. Exactly. And so he has the experience, yeah. the conviction, and the courage to immediately say to that, I am afraid. Yeah. And there's no shame in that. But not thrilled about the how's it no. going to happen answer. When, when John says, he'll burn you alive. Mance, it, there's, like, yeah, there's an eye twitch and it registers, wow, that's bad. But it's better than betraying everything I believe in. And this is when we pivot back to now it's now it's a tough conversation for John because yeah. now Mance is challenging John. Right. What matters in your life? Right. Think about this. Listen, this is a huge lesson for John at the end here. This part in particular is just a real doozy, this part of the exchange. John says, last ditch effort here. What happens to your people? You preserve your dignity and die standing and they'll sing songs about you. You'd rather burn than kneel. A great hero 
until winter comes and the White Walkers come for us all and there's no one left to sing. Yeah. Uncommon literary flair there from John. <laughs> I know, right? Mance. I'm not a poet. <laughs> no, you're not. You're a good lad. Truly you are. But if you can't understand why I won't enlist my people in a foreigner's war, there's no point explaining. And John says, I think you're making a terrible mistake. And here it is. Here it is. This will stay with John forever. Yeah. The freedom to make my own mistakes was all I ever wanted. In that moment, John not only knows that this conversation's over, right. that he's not going to be able to convince Mance, he understands what it means to actually devote your life to something, to have something you believe in so strongly that not even your own future is more important than that, than protecting that and fighting for it. This is the shit that we all want. (laughs) The freedom to make my own mistakes is all I ever wanted. That's what it's all about. And John hearing that from Mance is huge. And it clearly leaves a mark because... John cares about Mance. And when Mance is burning alive because Stannis and Melisandre are fucking crazy, <laughs> John can't stomach it. We see the, the camera panning the crowd, yeah. the faces. People are horrified. Gilly is turning to yeah. Sam for comfort. John can't stand it. At first, you think for a second, oh. Shireen with her eyes closed. Yes. That's, brutal. We think, oh, John's just leaving. He right. doesn't have the stomach for it. No, he goes to get his bow and he puts an arrow through Mance's heart to put him out of his misery. And this will help him not a bit with the people who already believe he's soft on the wildlings. Uh, Danny is finding out that governing a city, and in fact, a trio of cities made up of a large population of people that freaking hate you, is really just a series of tough conversations. She can't seem to make any decision without angering one side. On the one hand, she's got to placate her base of freedmen, the slaves who believe in her, and who desperately want revenge against their masters. On the other hand, she's trying to forge a society where slaves and their former masters can live together. Her advisors keep telling her to do something other than what she wants to do, but at the same time, she's not sure that what she wants to do is the right thing. You know, every time she wants to take revenge on somebody, they say, you know, the Mad King, this is the Mad kind of the stuff your dad did was bad. Okay, then I'll do the other thing. Yeah, but now all of a sudden the slaves are mad at you. That can't be good. And she's, she, you know, on the one hand, she doesn't know where to turn, but she wants to continue with her basic vision, which is justice. You've made thousands of enemies all across the world. As soon as they see weakness, they'll attack. Show your strength here now. And she says, that's why I have the Unsullied patrolling the streets. Anyone with a chest of gold can buy an army of Unsullied. You're not the mother of Unsullied. Ah, you're the mother of dragons. Good point. I don't want another child's bones dropped at my feet. No one's seen Drogon in weeks. For all I know, he's flown halfway around the world. I can't control him anymore. A dragon queen with no dragons is not a queen. And by the way, we've talked about Danny's uh, mistakes, and she's making a lot of mistakes recently, especially. And she's new at this. But not really working that hard on controlling her dragons seems like a big one to me. And then cut to the catacombs where maybe she's going to try now. I'm going to go see my babies, Viserion and Rhaegal. And they come out and they are angry, spitting fire in her general direction. Yeah. You know, not directly at her, but kind of off to the side as if to say, Mom. That's a tough conversation. Why are you doing this? <laughs> it's not great. No. And then there's Cersei. Mm. <sighs> you can't really have a hard talk with Cersei. She's not not hearing it. No. And, uh, you know, 
not really the most pleasant place for a conversation no. over your father's corpse, right? But that's where she chats with Jamie. And uh, she's not there to offer comfort at all. She is there to spew accusations, yeah. charges. Tyrion may be a monster, but at least he killed our father on purpose. You killed him by mistake with stupidity. This yeah. is extremely harsh. And then she adds, you're a man of action, aren't you? When it occurs to you to do something, you do it. Never mind the consequences. Take a look at the consequences. Here they are. This is extremely rich coming from Cersei, who is the poster character yes. for acting without any foresight yeah. or any consideration for the fallout of what she's just done. So she either has no self-awareness or no. she's projecting a bit here. But to put that charge on Jamie when it is the defining character trait for her is pretty insane. And, you know, she's got a tough chat with Lancel, too, because he's back. She was clearly not she, expecting I, this. Clearly not. Like, she's probably thought of Lancel, like, negative 15 times in the last however many months. She's, like, not... If Lancel died in a ditch, she would not have thought of Lancel again. This is the key moment of their conversation. Their world is at hand. I will pray for your father's soul. Now, their world is going to be at hand in a big way in the course of this season. The Sparrows will enter the story in a meaningful way very soon. But he, this is a threat. It's a veiled threat. Not very veiled at that. Get your shit together. Repent. Right. Find peace. Absolve your sins. Or right. I'm going to have to do something to right. get this off my chest. This is going to be a thing this season, and it's starting to be a thing for Cersei now. And, you know, the thing about Cersei in this episode is that we learn. We learn that she has been having tough yes. conversations for a lot longer than just the course of the season five premiere. Because this episode, The Wars to Come, opens with young Cersei, a flashback. And what is she doing? She's talking shit about Tywin. You don't need to be afraid of my father, <laughs> she says to her friend. What a perfect right. opening to the season that follows the season four finale in which Tywin died. We're in a new world, right? right. We're in the past, but we're also in a new world. Cersei, though, she's always been afraid, right? No matter what she says, no matter right. what she That's does, don't be afraid. That's where her rage comes from. Lives in terror. And now, thanks to this flashback, we finally understand why. So, with ample spoiler warning. Spoiler, 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 spoiler. <laughs> that we are going to not only be discussing... The way this prophecy plays out in the books, which is different, but also are going to be speculating freely about what might happen in the future in episodes of the show that we spoiler, have not yet spoiler, seen. Spoiler. Let's assemble a conclave and head to the Citadel to learn and discuss everything we can about Cersei's prophecy. Cersei's prophecy. Okay. The Wars to Come begins with Game of Thrones' first flashback. It shows a young Cersei consulting with a woods witch known in the books as Maggie the Frog. <laughs> Maggie. Nice. Maggie tells Cersei her future in that typically oracular way that uh, soothsayers often do. And the message haunts Cersei um, for years and years to come. And it's the context for uh, many of her actions in the story that we've seen so far. So it's the perfect time to talk about it. One caveat, like many of the prophecies from the books, this one has been changed um, to fit the show. Mm. Some people, Mal and I, might consider the changes very telling. 
So consider yourself forewarned. I'll warn you again when we get closer to the specific part of the prophecy that got changed and changed in a very suspicious way. <laughs> so as a young girl, this is during the reign of the Mad King, Ares II at this time, uh, time when Lannister was the hand of the king. Cersei and, now this is the book version, Cersei and two friends visit the forest tent of a fortune teller named Maggie the Frog, active in the Lannisport area in the days when Cersei was a child. Cersei asks three questions. And as in the show, Maggie answered after tasting Cersei's blood. Now, these, again, is the book version, and I'll, I'll read these now. Cersei first asks, when will I wed the prince? Here, Cersei is referring to her father's wish that she would wed Rhaegar Targaryen. That's something he was working towards right. at this time. Imagine. It would have been Imagine fucking crazy. Cersei Lannister married to Rhaegar Targaryen. Amazing. The blonde, the silvery yeah. blonde hair on those children. My goodness. Yeah, that Targaryen-Lannister mix. It might have happened. We'll get to that <laughs> might have happened somewhere else. Anyway, um, so yeah, Tywin wanted Cersei to marry Rhaegar. The Mad King, for various reasons, was not super keen on this, mostly because he felt that his hand was getting a little above his station anyway. But he led him on for a while, and the betrothal fell through. So Maggie answers, after Cersei asks, will I wed the prince? Never you will wed the king. And, of course, this means Robert. For years after, Cersei thought that this meant that she would wed Rhaegar only after the death of the Mad King. But actually, we know that it's King Robert. Second question. I will be queen, though. Very good question. Maggie says, I, queen you shall be until there comes another younger and more beautiful to cast you down and take all you hold dear. Pretty straightforward. At this point in the show's story, Cersei clearly thinks this refers to Marjorie. 100%. This explains so Everything. much of yes. the angst and venom. Yeah. It's like, why does she hate Marjorie right. so much? This is weird. Like, sure, no mother wants to lose her sons to a cleavage first young lady, but <laughs> what's really going on here? Seems like a nice yeah. family. You know, they've got lovely gowns. Yeah. They're wealthy. They're yeah. respected. What's up? Well, this is what's this up, is motherfucker. What's up. She's threatened. She thinks that Marjorie is the prophetic queen come to take her down. A hundred percent. And not that Cersei needs, you know, more motivation to be paranoid and power hungry. But yeah, this certainly amplifies that. So unless something totally shocking happens over the show's final 13-ish episodes, the queen in question here is clearly Danny. Next question. Will the king and I have children? Simple enough. Maggie says, I, six and ten for him. Now, they changed this for the show. They made it 20. Six and ten for him and three for you. This is a reference to Robert's Bastards and Cersei's children fathered by Jamie, Joff, Tommen, and Marcella. And Maggie continues, gold shall be their crowns and gold their shrouds. Self-explanatory. We're one third of the way toward that one already with King Joffrey's death. And now the final part, the final answer that Maggie gives her is not an answer to a question. It's a continuation of that final question. Now, again, air horn warning. Spoiler. This could possibly be a spoiler because this is the part that they took out of the show version. Maggie continues. And when your tears have drowned you, the Valon Carr shall wrap his hands around your pale white throat and choke the life from you. Ah! Oh! Hey, now... Uh, Google, Google Translate. Right. Clearly, this fourth answer presages Cersei's death by strangulation, I guess. By who? The Valonqar. What does that mean? Now, Valonqar is High Valerian for 
little brother. Oh, shit. Fuck. So, on the face of it, this seems like a clear reference to Tyrion, right? And he has plenty of motive. And they have years and years of years of mutual antipathy. And she has attempted to have him assassinated various times. But, but, what is the constant theme of Cersei's relationship to this, to these various prophecies that she's being told? Misinterpretation. Misinterpretation. <laughs> Each and every one she gets wrong. Right. Will I wed the prince? No, you'll wed the king. And she thinks it's Rhaegar, but no, it's Robert. Will I will be queen. A, you will be queen and a younger, more beautiful queen will come. And she thinks that means Marjorie, but really it's Danny. And then the number of children. She thinks she doesn't understand the, that Robert's going to have a lot of bastards, etc. So could she be misinterpreting this one too? What if the Valencar is Jamie? But wait, they're twins, right? So how could it be that Jamie is her little brother, as it says in High Valerian? Well, uh, the books tell us that Yes, they are twins, but Cersei was born first. The quote from the book is, she and Jamie were twins, but she had come first into the world, and that was all it took. Jamie, when he came out, he came out holding on to Cersei's foot. Now, here's another interesting part of this. Jamie obviously has only one hand, so he can't wrap his hands, plural, around Cersei's pale white throat. But what if she names him her hand? The double reading there of what hand could mean is extremely exciting and exactly the kind of thing that George would do. Also, just the the use of hand. Jamie's golden hand, Mm -hmm. right? Jamie losing a hand, the sword hand, the defining thing in his life, the, the appendage that allowed him to be a great fighter, the way he defined himself. Drawing attention to that, connecting this prophecy to the one part of Jamie that we now associate most fully with him is it almost can't be an accident. Yeah. It could be a it could be a red herring. Could be. But it can't be an accident. Taking it out feels extremely suspicious to me. And they've done this before, like with the House of the Undying, for instance. The depiction in the show takes out a lot of stuff that would have been spoilerific, like uh, references to the Red Wedding, really obvious references uh, in retrospect to the Red Wedding. Um, they took out because it would just spoil the upcoming season. So, yeah, there you go. Cersei's prophecy the really other, makes you think. The other thing that's interesting about this that I think you and I both get like a huge kick out of and just get extremely excited by is the larger role of prophecy in the story and whether characters, this is a staple of good, yes. good fantasy literature, whether characters in an effort to avoid right. their fate or what Classic. they think is their fate wind up fulfilling yeah. it, right? So clearly... This is happening to Cersei over and over again. Whether the prophecy is real or not, whether prophecies actually exist and actually have the power to determine your destiny, whether destiny is real, doesn't matter. What matters is that Cersei thinks this is real and has been, every decision that she's made in her life has been an effort to counteract this. Why does that matter? Well, because her decisions are fulfilling it. For example. Actively. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Her children are all dead now. That part's not great. And whose fault is it really? Well, Tommen never throws himself out of a window if Cersei doesn't blow up the Sept. Cersei doesn't blow up the Sept if she's not threatened by Marjorie, the queen that she thinks is there to bring her down. Cersei spent her whole life hating Tyrion and loving Jaime just to potentially be killed by Jaime. Crazy stuff. How rich would that be? Everyone wants to know their future. Yep. Until they know their future. Prophecies. Very dangerous stuff. 
Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor. Sonos speakers, let me tell you something. I got these bad boys, hooked them up. I haven't got to play video games much because I've been doing this thing for four months. <laughs> I haven't been home much at all. But when I did hook it up, I played Mario Kart a little bit. You know, the, I forget the name of the map, but it's like, you know, Bowser and he's and there's a volcano. I think it's Bowser's volcano, literally. Anyway, the vo volcano sounds freaking incredible. It sounds incredible. Everything sounds better on Playbase. Movies, sports, TV shows, gaming. Playbase adds dynamic pulse pounding sound to whatever's playing on your TV. Your pulse will pound and streams your favorite music when it's off. Truth is, most TVs end up on stands and furniture. Exactly what Playbase was created for. I mean, what are you going to put... When are you going to put the TV on? Gravity is important, guys. It's low-profile design practically disappears beneath your TV, yet fills your entire viewing room with epic home theater audio. Start with a Playbase, add a sub, add a pair of Play Ones for a full surround sound system. That's what I have. It sounds pretty freaking good. When I want to fall asleep, I put on the rain, the sleep sounds on, on Spotify, and it's soothing. You can even send TV or music sound around your entire home. Just add Sonos smart speakers in other rooms. They'll wirelessly sync to your home theater. And now, for the first time ever, Sonos is offering listeners of Binge Mode 10% off one order, $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Just use the promo code BINGE10, capital B-I-N-G-E-1-0, at Sonos.com to receive this exclusive offer. Mesta! Yes. The Miranese brothels are no place for the unsullied or for us. That's right. Not safe. Hug. Not safe. Don't turn your back. So let's seek refuge by heading to the Sept to bathe in the light of the Seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode. You go first. Number one, Gilly asks Sam, shouldn't you be training also? And he <laughs> says, well, well, I'm hardly a new recruit. How many brothers can say that they've killed a White Walker and a Thin? I may be the first in history of... Love this. ...boasting Sam and then... When she's saying that, you know, they can't separate again. And he says, well, I'll just come with you. And she and then Gilly says, you can't leave. They'll execute you. Great point. Number two, Melisandra pre-mansburning gives a little, little speech to the assembled. She says, we all must choose man or woman, young or old, lord or peasant. Our choices are the same. We choose light or we choose darkness. We yeah. choose good or we choose evil. And as she is saying this, the camera lingers on Shireen and Celise. Yep. Spoiler alert, but obviously we know why. Number three, Kevin with an A. Talking about uh, the changes in his son, Lancel, he says, they call themselves the Sparrows, bloody fanatics. Religion has its place, of course, up to a certain point, but they never would have come to the capital when Tywin is alive. And Cersei says, well, I'm sure he'll grow out of it, whatever it is. Mm, not Whoops. really. Nope. Whoops. Number four. Interesting little moment here that stands out now in hindsight when John is training Ollie. Go on. Try again. Drive at me. You know, they're, he's teaching him how to, how to handle a sword, how to defend himself. Keep your shield up or I'll ring your head like a bell. Mirror word for word from a season six flashback that yep. Bran and his weirwood training show us between Ned and Benjen in Winterfell when Ned, young Ned, is training young Benjen, and he says, keep your shield up or I'll ring your head like a bell. Here's how I'm going to choose to okay. interpret this. Whether this is incorrect, I, I don't care. 
in my heart, this is what it means. John might not actually be Ned's son, but he is Ned's son. Right. Number five, Brienne and Pod, Littlefinger and Sansa. After years of searching for the Stark girls, they've now slipped through her fingers tantalizingly so twice as Brienne and Pod are riding around what passes them but the carriage carrying Sansa and, and Littlefinger. And this is a classic, by the way, book readers will recognize something like this. This is a classic George R. R. Martin move, especially with Bran's trip north mm. and John's coming south. There's just a lot of these like uh, moments where characters you think they're going to meet, they almost get there, and then something happens. They end up passing each other in the night. Number six, Olivar in bed with Loras. And he's playing with a birthmark on mm-hmm. Loris's leg. It looks like Dorn, he observes. Now, in the moment, this seems cute. Getting yeah. to know each other, exploring each other's bodies. How lovely. Why does this matter? Well, foreshadowing. Now we know this will be the bit of proof that Olivar offers up to say, no, I'm not lying here. We've been intimate. Yeah. He's perjuring himself throw him in jail. This is actually hugely important. And, you know, if only Loras had listened to Marjorie's advice a little more, because right after that moment, she sort of barges in and she says, you know, perhaps you might consider being a little more discreet. And Loras says, why? They all know about me anyway. Everyone knows everything about everyone. What's the point of trying to keep a secret in a place like this? Well, unfortunately, yeah, would that that were so, but he's going to learn in painful fashion that that is not the case and that there are still some secrets that can hurt you. Pycelle, number seven, finally getting rid of one of his most hated rivals. What a moment for Pycelle. I never trusted Varys. I often warned. Bye, Varys. You spider! (laughs) Well, sweet Robin might swing a sword like a girl with palsy, but at least he has other gifts, the gifts of a great name, very old name. Not so for this week's champion, though. That makes his achievements even more astonishing. Each episode, we're going to honor the person who played the game and advance his or her cause in some tangible way. And this week, the winner of our champion's purse is... Lord Varys. Varys! Varys! Uh, Varys's plot with Ilrio has been unfolding almost completely behind the scenes the entire time. Until now, here for the first time, the former Master of Whispers lays out his plan in total, basically. And Varys, as we said at the top, a surprising idealist. He says, I didn't do it for you. I did it for the Seven Kingdoms. And continues, I don't believe in saviors. I believe men of talent have a part to play in the wars to come. And he says, you know, what does he want? He wants peace, prosperity, a land where the powerful do not prey on the powerless. This is crazy stuff from Varys, who uh, has appeared very much this kind of calculating realist. And now all of a sudden, here he is, apparently for years, holding this flame in his heart for the Targaryen regime. So here's a question that it's a common question, and it's kind of a glaring one. If Varys has been conspiring to put Targaryens on the throne for all these years, why did he then help Robert hire an assassin to have her killed back in season one? Now, remember that there were two Targaryens. This has always been... I've always worked on the assumption that Danny was the backup, mm-hmm. that there's there, the precedent of inheritance to the male line was set um, in the middle, the second century of the Targaryen regime. It makes sense that they would prefer Viserys to Daenerys. 
it's not unthinkable that, you know, Varys could have thought, well, perhaps Danny's death, murder, would spur Drogo to action. He'd seek revenge. You never know. One of the things that's just, again, another such a major W for Varys in this episode, in addition to just us starting to really understand how much he has going on yeah. here, what he's really working with, you know, and it's not just what he's been doing in the past with Ilario. It's let's go. Let's go yeah. find Danny. She's got dragons now. Let's make right. this happen. The strength that he's actually showing as a leader, it's a real shift for him. It His really whole is. game is operating in the shadows. Right. Literally, master of whisperers, right? right. It's murmurs, yeah. rumors, puppeteering yep. in the background where yeah. people can't really know that it's him. And now he's got to move to the fore and say, yep. no, I'm taking action yep. and you are going to fucking help yep. me. Stop drinking. Let's go. Yep. Just like I say to you every day before we record. <laughs> All right, guys. We almost choose man or woman, young or old, lord or peasant. Our choices are the same. And we choose binge mode. Yes. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing season five, episode two, The House of Black and White. Yeah. Until then, ask yourself, do you know what it's like to stuff your shit through those air holes? No, I only know what it's like to pick up your shit and throw it overboard. Raris. Raris. He's a eunuch. You guys, he has no stones in the pillars, as they say. He doesn't have them. You can't trust a man like that.